Welcome to the Paranormal Brothers Podcast. Investigating the paranormal, the unknown, I always knew there was a chance I would end up with an attachment someday. For many years, I kind of considered myself lucky. Often when I found myself in a paranormal conversation with people, that question would eventually pop up. Have you ever had an attachment? My answer always remained the same, a big fat no. Ha ha, knock on wood. Ask me that question today and you'll get a much different and much longer extended answer. In the summer of 2016, my mom and I had driven to Arizona to spend a few weeks there. The trip's main purpose was to go to my grandma's in Tucson. But along the way, we stopped and stayed at my mom's best friend Joan's house in Sedona, where we investigated a bit and we went to Jerome a handful of times. I truly love Arizona. It's one of my favorite places to investigate. It also happens to be the same state where my attachment happened. Let me explain. So my mom and I were in Tucson helping my grandma, who just had surgery, And every day we spent time with her and just made sure she was feeling good and was on the medications she needed to be on and kind of just cleaning around the house for her and taking care of her puppy and so on. And I knew Tombstone wasn't too far away, 89 miles from her house to be exact. I wanted my mom and grandma to go with me to get her kind of out of the house, have some fun. Well, I ended up going alone, which really turned out for the best because that Arizona summer heat, the temps that day, and I kid you not, rose to 118 degrees, way too hot for someone who was not feeling well and who just had surgery. She would have been damn well miserable. So anyway, Tombstone is a location that has been on my bucket list for as long as I could remember. That morning, I made my way to my bucket list location, and I had to be back in Tucson that night, so I made sure to fill every minute up. I went to Boot Hill Cemetery, investigated the Birdcage Theater, watched the reenactment of the OK Corral gunfight, had lunch and refreshments at Big Nose Kate's Saloon, and ended the night investigating at Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. My first stop is where it all happened, actually, the attachment, Boot Hill. It's 10 bucks to get in, and by the time I got there, it was 106, 107 outside. Guys, this Colorado girl is definitely not used to that intense heat. People were coming and going at a rapid pace. I think they were kind of willing to, okay, damn, well, I just paid 10 bucks for this, but I'm out. It's too hot. It ain't worth it. I'll stick around for a few minutes, and then I'm done. I wasn't one of those people. Years ago, my mom, she had been through Tombstone and picked up a booklet from Boot Hill for me, knowing that I would love it. It went into detail about the people buried there, headstone by headstone, row by row. I must have read that thing, I don't know, at least 100 times, not even kidding, throughout the years. I had brought it along with me, along with my digital recorder. Now, I just want to mention real quick that when I went on this trip to Arizona, I had no clue that I'd be going to paranormally active locations like Jerome, Sedona, and Tombstone. So I left most of my equipment back at home in Colorado. However, I usually always have my trustworthy recorder with me. So anyways, here I am at Boot Hill, armed with my recorder and pamphlet. (laughs) I spend time at each burial 
recording the whole time. I wouldn't spend too much time in one spot as the heat was becoming more intense by the minute. And for the rare moments people were around me, I would stop recording, just enjoy the scenery. Cactus and graves, I'm digging it. I gathered quite a plethora of EVPs at Boot Hill, but that will be for another episode. I'm sure there will be a few Tombstone location episodes, as every location had a lot to offer. After a while of being there at Boot Hill, I find myself in front of five headstones. From what I saw in the pamphlet, Tex Howard, Bill Delaney, Red Sample, Dan Kelly, and Dan Dowd took part in a robbery of a store in Bisbee, Arizona, a stone's throw of where the Mexico border is at. And it quickly turned bloody with the result of several people being murdered. This resulted in the men being executed, making them the first people to be legally hanged in Tombstone, Arizona. I ended up doing something that I would pay the consequences for later on for several weeks. As I stood in front of these men's headstones in the Arizona heat, I broke my number one rule as a paranormal investigator. I was disrespectful to a spirit, or in this case, spirits. Now, watching the shows on TV, it might seem natural and an ordinary thing to do so, and I respect each person, whatever they do is what they do. But for me, that's one rule I enforce for my team, and I, since day one, and up to that point, and since that point, have done just that. People laugh when I say it, but I truly believe it was the heat that made me act the way I did. For I have never acted in such a way during an investigation before, and I never have since. So here's the scene. This is what was caught on recording. I say, I'm at row two of the cemetery right now. Dan Kelly hanged. Bill Delaney hanged. And as I pause, my recorder, but not my ears, captures a creepy panic-stricken gasp-like sound. Now it's faint. It's not like boom in your face, but it's there. I continue to speak, Tex Howard hanged, again, that same sound. I go on, red sample, hanged. I say the last man's name, Dan Dowd, hanged, and one short labored breath. Can these horrible sounds my recorder caught actually be gasps escaping from the condemned men's lips? These guys were bad news. They definitely deserve death. The victims were truly at the wrong place at the excruciatingly wrong time. On a Bisbee street, people started hearing a bit of ruckus and were coming out of nearby businesses and paid with their lives for doing so. The victims included a police officer and a pregnant woman. Anyways, back to the event. Things are starting to heat up, like literally. It's probably a little over 110 outside and rapidly rising. I'm standing there and I say, hang for a robbery in Bisbee that resulted in numerous people's deaths. My recorder catches an unexplained pop-like sound. I suddenly feel anger and I say, you guys deserve to die. You murdered innocent people. How dare you, you bastards? You thought it was okay to do this? I've talked to quite some unsavory folks in the past and always kept my cool. Did they deserve to die? Absolutely. Should I have taunted them and said it out loud? Hell no. I did get an EVP from a man when I asked if they thought it was okay to kill people. A simple yes was recorded. I didn't shut my big mouth there, guys. I continue on and boy, I'm glad I have this on recording to remind myself 
Not like I would ever forget anyway, but it's good to have the mistake that I made recorded and never to be deleted. I say, you took it all, including their lives. Do you have anything to say for yourselves, you murdering group of five? The recorder catches more forced breathing than a man whispers, I'll pass. I walk away, and as I do so, a man, possibly the same who just spoke, says, come back. These voices and the breathing were close, as if right next to me, and I always made sure other people weren't around. Now, I'm a debunker. You gotta be. On sight, I will regularly debunk things. People whispering, sneezing, laughing, cars driving by, dogs barking. You get the idea. There were a few times where I debunked throughout the cemetery or cutting sessions short. I absolutely know that not everything is paranormal. That's why I debunk. So later on, when I'm listening to my investigation and taking notes, I know what is what. One great example real quick I want to share about non-paranormal things that can sound more eerie than they really are. One night, my sister Casey, friend Angie, and I were investigating the town's original ice house in Del Norte, Colorado, which was actually mentioned last episode, when suddenly my recorder captures a weird grumble sound, which could almost pass off as a growl. Thankfully, we debunk it by bursting up laughing And apparently my sister missed dinner that night because her stomach was growling like no one else's business. But if it weren't for the laughing and the debunking, it would have sounded like a legit thing. Like, wow, that's a growl. So that's one thing we normally do. If we hear it and recognize it and see it, we say it. That day, I didn't hear the breathing. I didn't hear the gasping or the whispers from the men. Mind you, I didn't have a spirit box. I didn't have anything but my recorder. So I spent a good amount of time at Boot Hill, leaving with the promise that I'll be back. I spent the rest of the day in Tombstone, not feeling quite right, but just associated it with that of the scorching heat Arizona was throwing my way. Fast forward a couple days later, when I am now in Sedona at my mom's best friend Joan's house, we had been going to Jerome just about every day. I had conducted an investigation at Jerome Grand Hotel and at my friend's little business, Sheila's Copper Penny. I investigated Sheila's feeling really off. Something wasn't right, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. Sheila and I investigated her store and came back with quite a bit of interesting EVPs and other forms of evidence, including the presence of a phantom cat. This is for another week. Anyway, so now I finished one investigation in Jerome, and the night before I went to investigate the hotel, which is a very haunted location, I went to sleep anxious for the next day to see what it had to offer. I wake up in the middle of the night and run into the bathroom, which luckily was just a few feet away. I threw up. One thing I need to mention, I hate throwing up. Not like anyone enjoys it. Don't get me wrong. I know that, but I hyperventilate. I cry. It's not a pretty sight. It's I've seen people get sick before and they handle it like a boss. Me, you would think that the end of the world is happening. It's actually quite pathetic, I admit. I usually do everything in my power not to get sick. Up until that point, it's probably been close to 10 years since I had gotten sick. Anyways, that night in Sedona, Arizona, there was no stopping nothing. This happened a few times throughout the night. It was horrible. The following evening, I was supposed to go to the hotel. It was a big deal because I almost was unable to go. And it took a lot of persuading and befriending to let this happen. 
uh, including my mom and Joan, going up there and talking to the man who's in charge of the tours. There is no way I was going to miss this opportunity. Plus, who knew when I'd be back in Jerome? This was in 2016, and I haven't been back since. So I wake up the next day feeling hungover, but only had a couple drinks the day before, not even enough for a buzz. My body felt broken. It literally felt like someone picked me up by my feet, stood on a tall ladder, and dropped me on my head. Everything ached. I could barely move. And before you think, oh, maybe it was dry heaving, there was no dry heaving the prior night. Believe me, I've been there, and it makes your body feel weak. But this was a whole other battle. At that point, I'd welcome the dry heave fill. That whole day, I took it easy. I nursed myself back to somewhat of better health, just enough to make it to the investigation. I am happy to report that I did not get sick once at the hotel. (laughs) At times I felt it, but no events took place. Spiritual, yes. Sickly, (laughs) no. The day after the investigation, my mom and I woke up early hugged her best friend goodbye, and started the trip back home to good old Colorado. The whole ride, I was ill. It wasn't my stomach this time. It was my chest. A whole new type of pain. And honestly, it scared me. My chest felt like it was caving in. You know, those old commercials with the guy on the bench and an elephant sitting on top of his chest? That was me. I kid you not. I had never experienced anything like this before in my entire life. It was excruciating. Uh, Panicked thoughts flooded my brain. What's wrong? Am I dying? Am I having a heart attack? The thoughts kept coming the whole long ride back. I voiced my concern to my mom and she, she knew I was ill. She stayed up all night with me when I was throwing up for two nights back. She suggested we go to the hospital. At this point, we were already in Colorado. We stopped at a grill in Durango for lunch. I was desperately hoping that some food would miraculously give me energy and the pain would go away. I know, wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. We make it back to town and go straight to the hospital. We get out of the car and I immediately feel like my legs are about to give way and I get dizzy. My body is still sore and that elephant has made itself at home on my chest. I was a mess. We walk in and a friend, a regular from my mom's store who works there, notices us, runs over. She sees my condition and runs away, coming back very shortly after with a wheelchair. We were there for several hours, blood tests, vitals, x-rays, Basically, everything you could think of was done to me and nothing. I mean, the doctor even shared with me that he was happy to report that I was in good health, but he can see that I am hurt and sick and felt bad that he couldn't give me any answers. I felt defeated. I I feel like death and there's no answers or diagnosis. And I sure wasn't about to tell them, hey guys, I'm a paranormal investigator and I may have an uninvited visitor with me. Got any meds to take care of this? Let's get this straight right now, folks. I like investigating asylums. Calling one my home and being committed? Not so much. Around this time, my mom hired me to shut down her business. So 98% of the time I was alone doing consignment, cleaning, packing stuff up, driving it to other locations on the other side of the mountain and and what have you. This whole time I was still in a funk. I didn't feel like myself. 
there were times where I'd be chilling upstairs from the business in the live-in area, just watching TV, and I would feel like, okay, I'm definitely not alone. At times, I would suddenly feel like I was being strangled or that a snake was constricting itself around my neck, making me repeatedly gasp for air coming out of nowhere. I've never experienced this before, and it terrified me. It was just so frustrating when you're when you're sick and you feel it deep within your soul, you know something's wrong and you just can't find an answer to it. I finally stopped denying the thought that it might be an attachment. I met up with a friend for lunch. I know her as a spiritual trauma healer. She offered to try to help me. So I went to her house. When I went to Jeanette's house, I went with an open mind, not knowing what to expect. What happened that day stays with me. It's definitely an experience that I will never, ever forget. So join me next week as I go into detail and share some EVP evidence of what exactly went down at Jeanette's home as I recorded the whole session and we did get EVPs. I'll also talk about the man behind the spirit who attached himself to me and the crime as well. Have a wonderful, spooky day. See you next time.